0: So invite you to turn to John chapter 10, um, and then also invite you to turn to the Psalms, the book of the Psalms, and Psalm 23. Some astute readers would have caught, uh, caught the uh, appropriateness of reading Psalm 23 as our Old Testament passage. So John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21, will be our scripture reading, as well as Psalm 23, and as we do so on occasion, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. And I'll begin in Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters, He restores my soul. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now John chapter 10, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. The stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And there was a division, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the reading of God's word. And we say, thanks Thanks be to God. Indeed, God, we thank you for your word that you feed us with. And we're grateful having heard what you had to say. We pray now that even... Uh, That even now, as our hearts are prepared by your Holy Spirit, that our eyes are opened by him to see the truths that you have for us in your word, that indeed we will see and hear and respond appropriately. Help us, our great God and Savior, to hear the voice of our Master this morning. And it's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Why don't you have a seat? So you caught a little bit of a theme there in these passages of Psalm 23 and in John's gospel, John chapter 10, of the shepherd, a shepherd. And it's sometimes very hard for us in, in 21st century America when we might be so far removed from shepherd and shepherding. Uh, We may not grasp how central shepherd and the image of shepherd was in the ancient Near Eastern life. The Old Testament, actually the whole Bible from beginning to end, has references to shepherd and sheep and pasture and flock. Um, and it goes from really from almost beginning to end. And it is a, it's a major theme all throughout the scriptures. And we'll look at some of those scripture passages here in a moment. And I can think of some of the major people, major characters in the Bible uh, were, in fact, shepherds, at least part-time, at least part-time shepherds. You can think of Abraham was, uh, Isaac was, Jacob was, Moses. You remember that Moses was also a, a shepherd working for his uh, father-in-law. And probably most famously in the Old Testament was was King David, who was exalted to his status of king, was anointed by the Lord to be king over Israel and to replace Saul. You remember how we're introduced to David? He's just a little shepherd boy. So when David writes this psalm, Psalm 23, it it really has a lot of meaning for him. He's writing from from his occupational experience. So a couple of tasks I want you to get into your mind uh, about Shepherd and shepherding as we look at the rest of this passage this morning. Here's four tasks I want you to notice. And you can follow along. There's some space in your handout for these. Uh, one is tending or feeding or watering. We'll call it feeding or tending to the sheep. or leading them to places of, of water. Number two, the second image of second task I want you to keep in mind when it comes to shepherds and their role with their sheep is protecting or guarding or keeping the sheep. The nature of shepherding involved the sheep to wander around in fields. And and I had the opportunity to go into Israel, to go to Israel and to see some of the places where the shepherds were. Uh, and it is uh, not like you would see around here. There's not major pastures of tall grass for them to uh, to munch on all day. It's uh, pretty barren and dry and desert, but if you look closely enough, you're able to see like little tufts of grass. Uh, uh, a grass or some sort of plants around there. And the shepherd had to know he had to be able to see that and know and take them to where they needed to be. But they also needed to, to guard them and protect them from the wild animals that would uh, seek to, to devour them and eat them. So feeding and guarding or protecting. And he also has to lead the sheep. Lead. Not driving the sheep. It was really interesting when I was there to watch how shepherds uh, direct a flock and was very much different than what it was that I had seen here in the United States or what you might picture uh, in like Britain or something like that or European shepherding where you'd have a shepherd who would direct kind of uh, drive from the back in, uh, in the ancient Near East where the Bible is situated when it referred to shepherds leading they literally were walking ahead and they would make noises with their mouth and call out to the sheep. And then the sheep would follow that shepherd uh, around. So leading the sheep and then also gathering the sheep. There comes a time when they can allowed to eat and roam around. and There's a time when he gathers them all together under the protection, especially in the evening. Jesus here is using in this passage today this this picture of shepherd uh, for himself. Now, I want us to remember the setting of John chapter 10. Notice that in verse 1, it just begins with Jesus saying, truly, truly. Okay? There's not an introduction here like there are in other places. Like, well, and at that time, Jesus passed along the way. Or, uh, and it was the feast of something was coming up. And there's not an introductory formula there. It just begins with Jesus' words. Quote, truly, truly, I say to you so it's right from the beginning we should recognize here that what jesus is saying is actually in direct response to what we saw in chapter nine so you remember in chapter nine jesus heals the man who was born blind and he heals the man tells him to go to the pool and uh, wash and the man goes and wash and at this point he still hasn't seen jesus and then all of his neighbors get excited and actually they're kind of confused they're like wait he's been blind this way from from birth And so this can't be the guy, is it? And so there's much discussion there. So then they turn to the religious authorities. Hey, help us to answer this problem here. And so there was an interrogation between the the Jews and the Pharisees, the religious authorities, with this man. And uh, then they go, well, they didn't really satisfied with his answer. So they go to his parents, and his parents are like, he's of age, ask him. So this past week I, I was asking Janet about something about Emmeline, and she's like, she's of age, ask her. (laughs) <laughs> so like, And I was like, okay, nice little trick there. Uh, turned the last week's passage around on me. Then, so they, they go back to uh, to the the man again, and they ask him. And he says, you see this progression of him coming to understand that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. And so at the very end of this, after Jesus says these very sweet words to the man, he comes to him and says, do you believe in the son of the man? And again, this guy hasn't seen Jesus yet. And he's like... Um, uh, yes, yeah, sir. Yes. Who is he that I might believe in him? And he goes, um, you have seen him and it is him that is speaking to you. And he says, yes, Lord, I believe. And then Jesus gives this pronouncement that the judgment is I've come into the world. Those who do not see may see and those who may see be, may become blind. Now, notice verse 40 and 41. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Is What you're saying there is this directed in us in any way? And Jesus said to them, if you are blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. And then it immediately jumps to chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you. So what Jesus is saying here is he's responding to their claim, their counter to Jesus' accusation that you actually guys are the blind ones. And they, they, they... question him on it. it, What are you accusing us of? And then Jesus says these words. Got to remember these chapter divisions and verse divisions come centuries later. So this is following right on here. And so what happens next is is Jesus then uh, now is addressing that situation here. And he's going to do it in three parts. And I'll tell you the three parts. He begins with a parable, verses one through six. And then he Elaborates that on a little bit and he kind of mixes metaphors a little bit and then he uses, he he refers to himself as the door and then he refers to himself as the good shepherd. So I want us to walk through those three parts to this passage this morning. And so he does this parable in verse. Verses 1 through 5. And we kind of know it's a parable because John tells us, right? In verse 6, what does it say? This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Okay? In verse 1, he says, truly, truly, I say to you. And here John says, and Jesus used this figure of speech with them. Who is the them and who is the you that Jesus is talking to? It's the Pharisees of verse 40 of chapter 9. So he tells them this parable. Now now you get a little picture here that they're one of the characters in the parable. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. Notice again in verse 5, he refers to um, these This other group, these thieves and robbers, he calls them in verse one. And then he calls them a stranger in verse five, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Okay, so notice he's setting this up here. There's these these people who don't enter by the door and he refers to them as thieves and robbers. And twice he calls them strangers And then on the other hand, he says that there's one who enters by the door and that he's the shepherd and the gatekeeper opens to him. So the question becomes, who are the thieves thieves and robbers and strangers here? Well, the answer is the leaders of Israel. The answer here is the Pharisees. Or as John has said on numerous occasions, he refers to them just as the Jews, the Jewish leadership over all of Israel at the time. What Jesus is saying here in this passage, when we understand in the larger context here, what he's saying here is um, it's a very loving picture of about a shepherd who cares for a sheep. But, but this, this statement about thieves and robbers and strangers, he's applying to the leadership of Israel. Jesus is saying that all of the Old Testament prophecies about the bad shepherds of Israel are fulfilled in them. But he does it in a parable way. So they don't catch it quite at first, right? That's why John says, and they did not understand what they were saying to them. What he was saying is saying to them that they were the bad shepherds over Israel. And let me ask you, let me invite you to turn to Turn to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. Again, the, the image of shepherd gets used a lot, uh, not just in the Old Testament for that specific occupation. It gets used a lot for the leaders over Israel. And this is kind of uh, prototypified through uh, David, right? Who's that The man after God's own heart, the leader over Israel, he started out as a shepherd and he still even on occasion refers to him as shepherd. So the idea of shepherd as being the leaders over Israel carries all through. The problem is, is that as you get through the latter part of the Old Testament, is that the leaders actually turn on the sheep. And so there's a couple of times where the Lord himself is giving a judgment, a harsh judgment against the leaders of Israel. And two of the passages, there's another one in Isaiah, but for the sake of time, we're just going to look at two. Uh, I'm going to show you Jeremiah chapter, uh, chapter thirty or 23, and I believe those are printed in your handout for you to study on your own. Uh, but Jeremiah chapter 23 says this. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and sh- scatter the sheep. Now, he's not talking about the sheep of my pasture. He's not talking about uh, that, the, the real occupation here. He's talking about the metaphor and the picture that this applies to the leaders over Israel. Woe to the leaders of Israel who destroy and scatter my people. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel concerning the shepherds, who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. Notice the reversal of the picture of what shepherds tasks are. You're, you're to gather the flock. No, he scatters them. You're, you're to, you're to tend to their needs. No, you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds declares the Lord. You haven't, you're not going to shepherd my sheep. He's like, well, I'm a to she- I'm a shepherd you. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Notice the indictment here, in particular, on the leaders over Israel. Ezekiel makes this even more clear. So I want you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 34 and follow along as I I read here. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, But the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. Verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. Wow, this is a major indictment here against the leaders of the people of Israel of the leaders of Israel who are feeding on the sheep instead of feeding the sheep who are exploiting the sheep for their own ends and their own purposes and not tending to them and protecting them and leading them and gathering them. And I love this promise that the Lord here in Ezekiel is saying, these, these shepherds of his over Israel have failed I myself will become the shepherd. Wow. That's the Lord God. The Lord God who says this. And notice what he says a little bit further down verses 22, 23, and 24. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be a prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So notice in verse 15, he makes the promise I am going to shepherd my people. And then he. Explains a little bit further in greater detail in 22, 23, and 24 that I am going to shepherd my people but I'm going to do it through a particular servant. One shepherd, my servant David. Okay? This is that righteous branch from David. The one that's going to come in David's line who is going to be the shepherd over the people of Israel. And he's going to gather them in. And then the Lord will be their God. It's an amazing, this is an amazing picture. And this is a prophecy about Jesus. Jesus isn't just giving a good and comforting image of being a good shepherd in this parable. He's leveling an accusation as well. And the the accusation is to the Jews, the, the Pharisees, you are that failed evil leaders, leadership over Israel. You are every bit those who are indicted in Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34. And Jesus is saying here, this is another, another claim by Jesus of being the Messiah. Because he's, directly, he's saying that I am the direct fulfillment of those promises in Jeremiah 23 and the, the promise in Ezekiel 34. And he's saying this, by the way, to the experts, the religious leaders, the ones who have all the credentials, the ones that have all the theological initials after their names. It's an amazing statement here. He's saying this to the theologically elite. And he's saying to them, you are False leaders, you are false shepherds. Oh man, is that true even yet today? Let me read to you some quotes from uh, J.C. Ryle. But before I do, here's the here's the main point: even the experts, with many letters after their name, can lead people astray. Beware! Even the experts can lead people astray. It, and by the way, just as a basic truth, and not even in just a theological, theological sense or your biblical sense here, let's, just in the last two years, has it not been proven that the experts can be led astray? How much more is that true in the church that is filled with theologically astute wolves? I love this, J.C. Ryle, the manly man. J.C. Ryle, the manly Mr. Ryle. He says this, Ordination is no proof what, whatever that a man is fit to show others the way to heaven. He may have been regularly set apart by those who have the authority to call ministers, and yet all his life may never come near the door, and at last may die nothing better than a thief and a robber. That was true in the 19th century. How much more here in the 21st? Ryle goes on. They taught nothing, he's speaking here about the the religious leaders of of Jesus' day. They taught nothing rightly about the Messiah. They rejected Christ himself when he appeared. Remember in the previous chapter, the parents were terrified to give an explanation to to the Pharisees at the time, why? Well, because anybody who would even inch their way to believing that Jesus Jesus was the the Christ was to be kicked out of the synagogue. These guys taught nothing rightly about the Messiah. They rejected Christ himself when he appeared. But all men do not see that the sentence in this passage here condemns thousands of so-called Christian teachers quite as much as the leaders and teachers of the Jews. Thousands of ordained men in the present day know nothing whatever about Christ except his name. They have not entered the door themselves, and they are unable to show it to others. Well would it be for Christendom if this were more widely known and more seriously considered. Unconverted ministers are the dry rot of the church. When the blind lead the blind, both must fall into the ditch. If we would know the whole value of a man's ministry, we must never fail to ask: Where is the lamb? Where is the door? Does he bring forward Christ and give him his rightful place? Manly, Mr. Ryle, Jesus, Peter, the apostle Peter, warns of this. The exact same tendency, even in the early church in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, excuse me, Second Peter chapter 2, when he says, but false prophets also rose among the people. You know, in the Old Testament, there were false prophets. There were false leaders over Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. What do they do? Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them? bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So who is Jesus talking to about here? Who are the robbers, thieves, and strangers? This is, these were the Jewish leaders who, who were devouring the sheep Oh, oh, that we would be mindful of that today. But here, on the other hand, now let's look at some of the features of the shepherd of the sheep. Notice what they do, what, how the sheep respond to the true shepherd. They hear his voice, right? But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls them. The shepherd calls them. He calls, and, and by the way, notice this. And he calls his own. He calls his own sheep. So when the shepherd shows up to make the call, it's not just any old sheep that want to come. He, call, he knows. Before he shows up to make that call, he knows. He's not, boy, I hope I have some sheep in here. No, he knows the sheep that are his. And as a matter of fact, he gets even more specific. He calls them by name. By name. And he leads them out. So don't miss that. Don't miss that, what he's saying there is that Jesus, when he goes to be the shepherd over his sheep and to rescue, he has a specific group in mind already. This is a mission. It's an objective. And he leads them out and goes before them. So this is the parable here, this indictment here. We get a picture of the the, uh, the, the thieves in the... Robbers and the strangers, but we get a little bit of a picture of the shepherd here. And it's at this they say this figure of speech that Jesus was using. They didn't understand what he was saying to them, but we understand now, don't we? That's the first one. Let's look at the second one, the door. And now, now there's some questions here, like, well, is how how many of the elements of the parable are we to take over here, and how is it that Jesus could be the door and the shepherd if the shepherd comes through the door, but the You know, things like that. To that, I would say, just know that he's mixing metaphors here. He's just kind of mixing it. Verse 7. So Jesus, and and here, this this door message, when he says, I am the door. Remember, we've looked at Jesus saying, I am. uh, I am just without anything following it. But then he says, I am the light of the world. Here is one where he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So here's an elaboration, a little of the parable that we saw here. And this is one of the two I am statements here, that he is the door. And by this, let me just summarize and get this quite clear of what he's saying here in these verses. Faith in Jesus Christ is the only way... For sheep to enter the master sheepfold. Jesus will make this much clearer clearer later. That I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Here he is saying that I am the door. And if you enter by me, you will be saved. This is the exclusivity of faith in Jesus Christ. Christianity is no way to be labeled as some uh, one of many forms of salvation or one of many ways to heaven or one of many ways to enlightenment no it comes by one way only Christ calling his sheep his sheep hearing that call and then coming to him as the door so Jesus is the door of the sheep and then Leslie, let's look at the third one here. Jesus is the good shepherd. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. What a what a wonderful picture. Let's remind ourselves of some of the things that the shepherd uh, does. Remember, he feeds the sheep. He protects the sheep. He leads the sheep. And he gathers the sheep. Let's see if we notice some of those uh, here as well. And then there's a couple of them. I might... Overlap And then there's uh, a couple of other ones that Jesus says here. First of all, he protects the sheep, verses 12 and 13. And he contrasts that with a, with a hired hand, a hireling. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, but sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep, right? He doesn't own the sheep. Now, the implication here, if you reverse it, is why is Jesus a good shepherd? Because he owns the sheep. They're already his. They're already his treasure and his possession. So he goes to protect his sheep, unlike the wolves who would leave them to be exposed to the dangers of a wolf coming to snatch them. Jesus protects his sheep. He cares deeply for the sheep. Again, contrast to the hireling. The hireling flees. Why? Because his life is in trouble. And he cares nothing for the sheep. My implication here is that Jesus cares deeply for the sheep. Because Jesus has genuine care for his sheep. Jesus knows his sheep. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Again, this is just reiterating what we saw in the first parable. In verse 3, the sheep hears his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. Here he says, I know my own why am I able to call them by name? Because I know them. And so much so, how, how intimate is that, that relationship, that knowledge that Jesus has? He says in verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Friends, this is what this, this doctrine of the Trinity that you're already starting to see developed in John's gospel here. This doctrine of the Trinity is so important And it is uh, it's not just a theological abstraction that there's one God who exists in three separate persons. And, um, you know, okay, as long as I believe that and check that off, then I can move on to the next doctrine and, you know, of things in order to be orthodox. No, no, no. This this understanding is crucial to understanding of our relationship with God, the father. Because when we enter into, by faith in Jesus Christ, we come in through the door. We have now entering into perfect relationship among the persons of the Trinity. As, As Jesus is saying here, he doesn't elaborate. He's not adding the Spirit. He's going to get to that later. But at least you have in beginning form this relationship that God the Father has with God the Son from all eternity. And he goes, and how they know each other, that's the relationship between me and my sheep. Amazing, right? We go on, in later in the New Testament, we understand that it's the Holy Spirit that is given inside of us that connects us to Jesus, who Jesus connects us to the Father. And as they have perfect relationship among themselves, we enter into that by faith in Christ. So when Jesus says, I know my own, and they know me, and let me tell you how they know me. They know me very similar to I know the Father, and the Father knows me. Wow. So he knows the sheep. Number four, he unites his sheep into one single flock. Notice verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Okay, so I had a friend in college, and we were reading this passage back and forth, and Um, That's kind of an odd statement, right? And and I have other sheep that are not part of this sheepfold. And you're kind of wondering, well, what what does he mean here? And so my friend, uh, who is also a biblical studies major with me, and again, we're freshmen in college, so take that for what that's worth here. And he goes, I think I know what this other sheep means. I kid you not. He goes, I think that there are beings on other planets. (laughs) okay to laugh, and I, and I remember going, okay, okay, what do you mean, and he's like, well, I just think like this sheep fold is like this fold here is the world, and that there's probably like being somewhere else in the universe, and that Christ is going to save them, and then he's going to bring them all together into one, he's like, you think maybe that's it, and I was like, okay, sure, I hope he's not listening to these, by the way, <laughs> Um, But that said, it it is kind of a strange thing. Well, what is he referring to about other sheep in these folds? Well, a little bit later, I think I've come to an understanding of what I think he means here. This is a hint at the inclusion of Gentiles into the one people of God. Okay? This is a hint to the inclusion of non-Jews. Into the singular one people of God. Christ's true flock. Okay? I think that makes sense. You go and you read Acts or you read Ephesians and and other books of the New Testament or Galatians. And you go, oh wait, there's other people who can now enter in to relationship with the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We can enter into that, but not by going through the Mosaic Covenant. We could do so directly by faith in him. And at this point, that would have been, uh, at this point where Jesus is interacting with these these Jewish leaders at the time, uh, would have been kind of off the radar. But Jesus, I think, is hitting at it. There's other sheep. And I think this is the inclusion of the Gentiles who will come to faith in him. And he speaks of them in the future tense, right? So he foreknows them, right? I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. And there will be. Notice the future tense is there. There will be one flock and one shepherd. Okay, again, that's, a, that's echoing both Genesis, Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34, the one flock, one shepherd here. And I think he's talking about the inclusion, the future yet inclusion of Gentiles, those who don't even believe. And yet he refers to them as his sheep. Again, he knows them by name. He knows who they are. And even though in, our, uh, in the scope of history and in time, they have yet to become believers Jesus is still speaking of them and they will be brought in. Isn't that amazing? He's speaking as yet of them being brought in in the future. There are sheep that the Lord is going to, be to, to yet bring in and he will use us in sharing his word to do it. I'll say that one again. I think I didn't make a slide for this. There are sheep of the Lord yet to be brought in And he will use us in sharing his word to do it. There are sheep of the Lord yet to be brought in. And he will use us in sharing his word to do it. I'm I'm so encouraged by. I'm so encouraged by this. uh, An incident with the Apostle Paul at the church of Corinth. At the church. He's just at Corinth. He had just preached the gospel there. He is started in the synagogue. You had some believers believing that Jesus was the Messiah, and then you'd have some Gentiles coming in, and there were some who believed, but he was getting massive opposition from the Jewish authorities in the synagogue at that time. And so it doesn't say that he was discouraged, but you kind of get the sense that he was probably discouraged, and maybe at night he's wondering, should I skip town? Should I go somewhere else? Lord, what do you want me to do? And it's a- amazing, this, these words. Acts 18 verses 9 through 11. You remember this story, right? And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. So apparently there's fear here. Do not be afraid. Go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. And here's why. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed there a year and six months. Stayed there 18 more months. So you get the the hint that he's fearful and he's wanting to skip out of town, perhaps maybe move on to whatever the next thing is. And the Lord says, no, keep on doing it. Keep on preaching. Keep going. You may not see fruit for 18 months. And I may call you somewhere else and you may not see the fruit in your lifetime. But keep doing it. Keep doing it. And here's why. I have, there's, there's some there. I have sheep that are not a part of this sheepfold, and they have yet to be brought in and they will be brought in. Amen. Can I get an amen on that one? I love it. So he protects the sheep. He cares for the sheep. He knows the sheep and he unites the sheep, unifies the sheep into one single flock. And then how? Well, through his sacrificial death on the cross. Offering up his own life and this is a repeats several times in this passage Uh, verse 11 I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep Verse 15 just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for my sheep Verse 17 For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life. Verse 18, he says that uh, he has the authority to lay down his life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. That's amazing. So many uh, criticisms of the view that Jesus Christ would substitute himself uh, as the to take the punishment uh, for sin that people deserve and that give his righteousness, that is scorned or mocked in some circles of the Christian church today. And they say, oh, that just makes an evil, angry father who just is wrathful and he wants to pour out his anger on his son and they'll even distort this and call it a divine child abuse. That's horrific to say that. Because Jesus himself affirms the fact that he is laying his life down for his sheep. That he himself will suffer on a cross, not for his sins but for the sins of sinners that he seeks to save. And that he does it voluntarily. He does this willingly. He does this because of the Father's will. So far be it to suggest that this is some sort of father hating on the son and the son just taking this. No. They were working together in this plan. This is why he could say that I know the father, the father know me. We've, we're, we're in agreement on this and we always have been from before the foundation of the world. So our good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And then lastly, He rises again for his sheep. This is the glorious resurrection. Of course, you know it has to end in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? What makes Jesus a good shepherd? If if you're going to talk about Jesus being a good shepherd and you ignore the fact or skip over the fact or gloss over the fact that it is fundamentally built upon the idea of his sacrificial death on a cross and his resurrection from the grave, then you don't really have a good shepherd. Verse 18 says, I lay down my life, I have the authority to do it, I have the authority to lay down my life, and I have the authority to take it up again. Similarly in 17, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. The resurrection is probably, the death and the resurrection of Jesus is sometime yet to come, maybe a year, a little Maybe a little more than a, a year or so from at this point, maybe two years, depending on the, how you date, uh, date John. But here he's already again speaking of his cross and his resurrection. And that's what makes him a good shepherd. So all that a shepherd does feeding, guarding, leading and gathering, Jesus is all of those things. First, Jesus is a shepherd, and for this reference, I think it's in your handout, Matthew chapter nine, verses thirty-five and thirty-six. Remember, Jesus is gathering large crowds; they're following around him, and and there's a in Matthew chapter nine, it says, and he looks out the outer at the crowds, and he sees them, and he says that they're uh, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And so, Jesus is that is that shepherd. Jesus is a shepherd. And then not only is he a shepherd, as we saw here, he is the good shepherd connected to his death. So Jesus was a shepherd in that he was shepherding the people and he was teaching them. He's the good shepherd because he surrendered his life for the sheep. He's the great shepherd because not only did he die, he was raised again from the dead. This is from Hebrews chapter 13. I love this wonderful uh, benediction here. And this will be our benediction today as we leave. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Notice how Jesus keeps rising in rank. He's a shepherd. It's like private corporal. He's moving his way up. Like he's the, he was a, he was a shepherd. Oh, he's a good shepherd. No, he's a great shepherd. The great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he is the chief shepherd, the supreme commander of all of his under shepherds, which are his servants working in the world today. Pastor, similar to, to shepherd. This is from 1 Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. This is Peter saying this. So you don't have Peter as the the Pope or Bishop in Rome, and then everybody else is underneath of him in a hierarchy. He goes, No, actually, we're all fellow elders here. So I exhort you elders as, as being one of you, and the witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Notice how all of these under-shepherds are working under the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And notice he's like saying, and by the way, all the things that that the bad shepherds did in Ezekiel 34, these are all like reversals of. No, you're not going to do any of those things. And then, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So look at that. Shepherd, good shepherd, great shepherd, chief shepherd. He's a shepherd in that he teaches his people. He's the good shepherd in that he lays down his life for his people. He's the great shepherd of the sheep in that he was now raised to life again, is now seated in the heavens, and he's the chief shepherd of his sheep. We will see at his coming... When he appears. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's pray together. And then we're going to get together. We'll have you uh, stand for our closing prayer. And then we will sing together the song, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. So let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, our great shepherd. Of the sheep, the chief shepherd. We thank you for that you had come humbly to this world to be born in human flesh, but that your ministry for these several years on the world, that where you taught and you healed and you showed yourself to be the Messiah over Israel, we thank you that you shepherded in that way. And we thank you, Jesus that you truly are the good shepherd who would lay your life down so that we depraved sinners can receive your righteousness and be brought into the eternal fellowship with you and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And we praise you, Jesus, that you are raised to life again. The first fruits of what we would experience in our resurrection on that day. And we praise you for being the chief shepherd. And we look forward to your appearing and your coming. But until then, we ask that you would. That you would feed us. Feed us from your word. And from your under shepherds who are faithful to your word. And not those who would distort your word. We ask that until you come back that you would indeed protect us from those evil ones. And that you will lead us knowing that you are sitting in at the right hand of the majesty on high ruling and reigning and that you are going there as a forerunner for us. That we will get to join you soon. And that you will... Gather us as your people, not only as we do here on the day that you've appointed for us to do that, but we look forward to gathering around your throne forever and ever. And Jesus, it is in your mighty name that we worship you as our good, great, and chief shepherd. And all God's people said,